Good, good. We're uh, we're in a a slow phase of the pod. Uh, every two <laughs> weeks for a month or so, while we figure our our lives out and take care of all our stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, and yep. unfortunately, the um, the television culture entertainment calendar. Uh, is not cooperating with us. It's relentless. Uh, nearly as relentless as my two children. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, my poor DVR um, is is groaning from the weight of things that I need to catch up to. Uh, there are some shows that we have talked about the last few weeks uh, that I'm like, oh, I'm definitely going to finish this, that I have not watched an additional episode since. Yep. Um, and not for lack of interest. Um, it's just sort of been uh, crazy from a life standpoint, crazy from a sports standpoint, and crazy from a content standpoint. Um, and as you'll see with the the homework that we're gonna give you for next week's show, it's not letting up. It's not letting up. So look, there could be worse problems in life than having more great things to be entertained by. Yeah. Um, but it it can be a challenge for us on this pod. Yeah, man, um, we could be the guy that got punched in the face by Mike Tyson for being a jackass on a plane, but uh, instead <laughs> we just have too much TV to watch. Yeah, yeah, no, there's a lot of uh, t- terrible people we could be too. That's a, that's probably another podcast. Yeah, ter- terrible people we could be with with Matt and Derek. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> Should we get into some shows? Uh, we're gonna do Top Chef, I guess. After after we cover uh, the homework, um, I wouldn't mind uh, starting with Better Call Saul. Uh, I only got to see one of the two episodes that uh, they threw up on um, on what was that Monday? But, yes. Um, which we'll tell you about how much time I've had to watch television lately. Um, but I would say. Uh, I feel very confident in saying this show's still really good, <laughs> and yeah. I can't wait to see how they land the plane. Uh, well, which, and which so doing. a couple things because I don't think we need to spend a lot of time here. But people, if you know, you know, and if you don't, uh, you should start from the beginning. Uh, and you should also probably watch Breaking Bad because you probably haven't. You you bum. Um, it, it does amaze me that there are people like you run into people now, or like I've never seen Breaking Bad, and I just like I don't even even know what to do with that. Yeah, well, my wife is probably one of those people. She doesn't watch stuff. Uh, but anyway, the point of all this is to say this show has now the entirety of the series has been a building crescendo, and it is at a fever pitch right now. It is heading down the home stretch, and it is. High drama, high action, 
high stakes and it's all done at such a high level. It's just a wonderful, wonderful show. And and uh, to add on to that, somewhat unrelated or, or very related, but but party to the show. Um, they are they've they're doing like these featurettes. Have you seen those at all? No. So there was one that was just like a three minute, uh, you know, what's on tap with Bob and Rhea, and that was not that interesting. But they did a. 10 minute like sort of actually you know what i did see what's on top with bob and Rhea, but i'm, I'm not, not gonna see the interesting one clearly yeah so uh, after they released the two episodes they released this like 10 minute it's i don't know how it's like a unsolved mysteries uh spoof about saul goodman slash jimmy mcgill um Except it's like a, it's called American Greed. You know, it's more about a cr- a criminals than than yeah. unsolved mysteries. Uh, so, but it's really well done. It, you know, they've got this is Stacy Keach doing a big voice of like, and and then a new member joined the band. Heroin. Yeah. Um, except it's all about Jimmy McGill becoming Saul Goodman, and they interview, they talk about the stuff from breaking bad and they interview uh you know some characters that you'll enjoy seeing again um and it's only about 10 minutes but it's really really good so just like every read is a real series by the way i kind of thought that was the case i had i had to look it up oh it is it's it's on cnbc and it is narrated by stacy keach oh wow so they actually got the real american greed crew then i didn't know that but they got the real american greed crew to do a 10 minute bit about Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman. Yeah. Um, in fact, you can 14 see seasons, it by the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm seeing that now you can see it on YouTube. Actually. Uh, they released it beforehand on, on CNBC's YouTube channel. I didn't even realize that. Um, all right. Well, I will, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds great. I, it's, you know, here's it's the- great. Here's here's my Saul takeaway. I would say for the casual Saul watcher, I don't know exactly who that is, but if, if you've like <laughs> watched it a few times, or if you're yeah. kind of like the Casal, like, if you will, yeah, like I think that there is a there's a perception of Saul that it's kind of the slower, more contemplative version of Breaking Bad, um, and and I think what you're seeing in this final season, as the events of the story get closer to the events of that story, that it's kind of picked up the 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 more breaking bad action heavy tempo yeah uh, and fr- yeah this final season. that's right and frankly like if if the first season was too boring for you i honestly think you could jump in with like the last couple episodes of last season and be up to speed for this final season that seems like it's going to be an absolute thrill ride so um yeah, I'm just very excited. Uh, this is one of the few shows left that I'm excited to, ha- to have rolled out in a week-to-week format. Um, and I'm really going to savor it. Yeah, you know, I'm glad it's week-to-week, too. Like, one of these a week that you can really kind of kind of sink your teeth into uh, is nice. I just hope that I have the time. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stop going to shows and stuff, clearly. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, what you see? What have you seen in the last two weeks? Whew. Um, so, you know, I went to New York last week, which is why we didn't do a pod. Yeah. Um, and I saw Father John Misty in the oh. Rainbow Room. Oh. Are you familiar with the Rainbow Room? 
um, it, for those of you who are not, it's at yeah. the top of, of 30 Rock. Yes. Uh, like the top of 30 Rock. So we were like, you're basically parallel staring out the window at the top of the Empire State Building. Um, and it's and it's not it, big either, right? No, it, you know, in this room, in this ballroom that is, you know, elegant and uh, you know, chandeliers and Father John Misty is doing his torch song and comedy routine with like a full orchestra, and it was it was a really incredible experience. So that was that was really fun. Uh, I saw Big Thief um, cool. in Brooklyn the next night, um, which was super cool. They're a very good band, not the, not the most engaging live performance if you will but very very good band uh and then uh the 20th anniversary of yankee hotel foxtrot oh uh, with wilco uh doing that whole record front to back oh um, that's cool which was super cool uh three three great really interesting venues all three of them uh in new york um uh which was uh super cool so and then last night I was supposed to see Spoon, but they uh, had to postpone that show at the very last minute. So I, I didn't oh. actually. I so let me tell you a story. Um, something that people may not know about me, I'm a uh, you know a big fish nerd, and I think that distracts people from my otherwise. I do that about you. <laughs> no, that's what people do know, and I think it distracts people from okay. my otherwise very eclectic and broad music taste and and my deep deep love for some other bands that's nearly as deep as my love for fish it's just that the engagement is a different thing right um right and i think arguably the two bands i love the most outside of fish are green day and spoon um and i have never had the pleasure of seeing green day live uh they're just so they got so big when i was so young that they became the sort of show I don't often go to, you know what I mean? Um, but Spoon, I had not forgotten, but just like my direct engagement with Spoon had perhaps dwindled over the last two or three years specifically, um, in part because, you know, uh, they're an older band in their in their twilight, perhaps. And I went to see St. Vincent, barely remembering that spoon was opening and i have to tell you i i i i finished watching that set with the same impression i get every time i see spoon and i don't know how it continues to not surprise but just sort of impress and gratify me brit daniel is just he's that's a rock star and I don't know – it's never totally made sense to me that Spoon – I mean, I guess My Mathematical Mind and, and that Gimme Fiction was a huge album. But, like, the the way he exudes Rockstar, the way they put, put on a live show, the sort of rock music that they play, it always surprised me that Spoon wasn't bigger. And I love them. They're just a band that sneaks up on you. They you do. I mean? Somehow, even if you know how spectacular they are, every time they get you. Yeah, and it's something like it's a. I I I feel like it has something to do with there's almost a metronomic consistency about their records, right? Mm-hmm. That allow sort of allows people to take them for granted, if if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, like I don't I don't think they've ever had a bad album. You know, like they're all their albums are always very good. You yeah. know, like so. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, this new one not being uh, not an exception to that. So yeah, yeah so I'm true. excited. Like you know, the voice trouble, I guess, was the reason for the show, and so hopefully uh, by Sunday, uh, when when they're they're playing again, things will be a little bit better on that front. Um, so yeah, and I have more shows to come, <laughs> so, including one tonight. So uh, so yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, do you want to we jump into Russian Doll? Uh, before we do that, do you want to quickly get your uh, winning time takeoff? Oh, yeah, thank you for that. I, you know, obviously winning time's taken a lot of hits. <laughs> taken a lot of hits in the press, and it seems like particularly the Lakers uh, that are, in the, you know, depicted in the series are out for blood. Well, um, has Magic actually said anything? Magic has said anything, but part of what Magic said was, I haven't watched the show. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Magic's unhappy, but since he hasn't watched the show, I'm going to discount what Magic has to say about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think Magic is mad that his friends are mad. Right. Uh, which is understandable. Well, it's I, classic honestly, Magic, I it's too. Understandable. Yeah, I think it's understandable for Kareem or Jerry West or anyone else involved to be upset. Um, although I would say... Uh, if you're trying to make the point that I, you know, that I'm not the, the guy in the show isn't me, I feel like the guy, the Jerry West in the show, uh, suing the show for for defamation would definitely be something that that Jerry West would do. Just I'm just saying. Um, yeah, man. And here's the thing about Jerry West. Like, how do I say this respectfully? I don't think he's the sort of person who's interested in an understanding of the way someone might use an artistic representation that is caricaturesque to portray some very real characteristics of Jerry West, right? And look, I sympathize with Kareem and Jerry because it must be so I like it's it's unfathomably difficult to watch yourself somewhat caricatured on screen and the whole world is watching and talking about it. Right. Oh yeah. I would be extremely angry if there's a television show that had me as a character that, uh, didn't depict me in any, like it just got stuff wrong. That would, that would make me very upset. Well, not only got stuff wrong, but also like took some of the aspects of your own character that you might be sensitive or self-conscious about and exploded them into, Farce isn't the right word, but extremity, right? Made your character flaws very extreme, you know? And, like, for Jerry West, uh, uh, like, I imagine he is also perturbed by the way he looks, which is a little schlubby (laughs) and, like, you know, throwing trophies through glass doors, which I believe when he says he never did, but I also believe he probably threw some ugly temper tantrums. And that was the way that the show chose to over-dramatize those tantrums. And I think the show works. And so I have respect and sympathy for guys who don't want to be betrayed that way or portrayed that way, I should say. But at the same time, I guess my advice would be don't watch it. You're a public person and this is the sort of thing that can happen. And, and while I understand you don't feel great about it, 
it's not actually about you. And I think most people who watch TV realize that this is not a historical document. Yeah, and look, and I don't want to get into telling Kareem and Jerry West how they should feel. I like, I just don't. Not at but all. I, I, feel how you should feel. Yeah. Feel however you want to feel. But like, I'm not sure you have a right. I guess we'll find out. Uh, to to demand um a retraction that seems silly because no one's actually saying this happened. Yeah, well, I, I guess my my whole take on this thing is I I I feel like people are. If your criticism of the show is, is that it's not historically accurate, then I say, duh. Like, this isn't The Last Dance, which is that's right. also is not historically accurate in some ways, you know what I mean? Um, or slanted or whatever. But, like, this is a television show. And I think, like, like my issue with Kareem's piece about the show is not the stuff about whether they what they got right about him or wrong about him. I, I, I clearly defer to that man. He's... Uh, not only a great writer, but obviously he was there. Yes. Um, my thing is like that it's not the point. And I think the analogy that he raised in the beginning of the great, like I think this show is pretty upfront about, hey, it didn't exactly go down like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, in hey, fact, Kareem in his, in his cr- critical article, um, which I thought was great, by the way. Like, read it. It's interesting. I disagree with some of the things he says. I think a couple of his uh, assertions or conclusions are incredibly overdramatic, which is ironic given that that's his uh, primary criticism of the show. Uh, but he's a great writer and an interesting thinker, and he has interesting things to say. It, it's just, like, he... <laughs> The one thing that really rubbed me the wrong way was he said that, you know, well, because he was rude to a child in this ridiculous television show, um, like people might think twice about donating to his children's charity, which I think is absurd. Uh, the, the One of his big criticisms is the breaking of the fourth wall. And he says, and not without basis but i think incorrectly that well the only reason to break the fourth wall is to be funny or to give the audience critical information and i think certainly those are the two primary uses of fourth wall breakage but in this case i think it's also meant to signify that this is all a little bit ridiculous right there they are by the way i think those fourth wall breakings are funny and occasionally informative I agree. And and they're also the, the precise kind of cheekiness that indicates that what we're watching is camp to a degree, right? Like it's historically based camp, but it is not a historical drama or a documentary. And I'm not sure they got the facts wrong on this, that and the other is a is even a worthwhile criticism to spend time with. That's that's where I land. It's, it's like, yeah, they probably did get a lot of facts wrong, and I get that. But I like, I don't. That's not to me. Should not be the point. And and, and my to biggest Kareem's point, point Kareem is calling this show boring because it's well, yeah. a lot of things. Not all of them are good, but it is clearly not boring. And, and that sort of is, I think, in a lot of ways, that that's the telling on himself part of his <laughs> critique, because even his own critique makes it pretty clear that it's not a boring show. It's right. a, it's a like, it's camp. It's overdramatic. It's got a million things going on and naked ladies and sensationalism, but boring is just a goofy thing to call it. It's, it's definitely not it, that. 
and, and I don't get the sense that that Kareem watched every episode. I think he watched the first few just based on the description he gave in the article. Yeah. But I, I also have an issue with people talking about characters as one dimensional a couple of episodes into a television series, right? Like we I'm pretty sure Wintime already got renewed, right? Like they're gonna be telling the story over multiple years. Yeah. And characters are going to develop over that time yeah. and gain other dimensions. That's the whole point. Like they're not supposed to be real fully realized three episodes in. Like you've I already agree. seen more sides of Jerry West and you know, after six episodes than you had after two. So and, and by the way, there's this whole like, oh, Jerry West never drinks, and I can't believe they showed Jerry West womanizing. And like Jerry West never fucks. Right. Well, I'm like, are you watching? Because what they showed is him meeting his wife and him having like two drinks after a game. He never had two drinks after a game, really. Like, it's not like he's a raging alcoholic out there. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, he's not buzz. You know what no, I mean? I, so many things that I think are indeed over-dramatized from real life are being reacted to as if they are like pornography, and I just don't think that's the case. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't know. People have it out for the show in a, in a certain way. And look, it's an ostentation show, so maybe maybe it's inviting that. I get it. Okay. Yeah. We, probably, we probably spent too, too much time. Too much time, yeah. Out of the homework. So let's do it. Uh, I'm gonna jump to woke because I think we can we can hit a woke pretty quick. <laughs> uh, can I? I actually wanna I wanna sort of compare and contrast season two of woke and season two of Russian Doll. Okay. Yeah. Can I, hit me. Can I tell you? Okay. So here's I'm gonna here's, clear out. Here's the thought process. <laughs> okay. Um. Both of these shows were interesting original concepts that we really enjoyed the first season of, that we both are charmed and delighted by the lead characters of uh, in in Lamorne Morris and Natasha Lyonne. And I think we were pro- excited for both of them. And, and neither is bad. Um, but I will say, and I'm curious to find out if you agree, that I enjoyed season two, and I've only watched a, a few episodes of each, but to this point, I have enjoyed season two of Russian Doll significantly more than season two of Woke. And when I was thinking about why, and I just feel much more compelled to watch Russian Doll season two, here's what I came up with. What I think Russian Doll did conceptually with their show is they had an interesting concept, you know, a, a, a very conceptual, you know, a, like a high concept show, right? Um sort of a Groundhog Day type of twist. And when they set out to make a season two, they said, all right, let's keep the spirit of what we did. Like Natasha Leone reacting in her totally individual way to the world going crazy around her, right? But let's really mix it up. And send it in a different direction. And instead of Groundhog Day, it's a situation where she's like able to move in and out of a time travel kind of situation where she's living as her mom years before. And it's equally high concept, but different and interesting. And I'm interested and intrigued and compelled to find out what happens next. And I feel like Woke... Instead of going for like a, a stretching the concept or 
trying for a a you know spiritually similar but uh mechanically and and logistically different central premise and theme just kind of sitcomed the idea that they had if that makes sense like definitely makes sense to me that is certainly my biggest description or or issue with with woke season two is i feel like it it it's it's like an I don't know like it, I feel like you can feel network sitcom notes all over the right. Well, it feels like, like they were like, all right, so what did we do here? We've got Keith who is finding out that activism isn't as easy as he might have thought, and then we've got his uh, little buddy who's a womanizer and um, you know l- processing that in his life, and then we've got. Blake from Workaholics, who's a weird pothead hippie dude. Uh, I mean, I feel like there was a, a concerted effort to be like, how do we jam Shazir Zameda back into this? Right? Yep. Like, we don't have any real plot reason for her to be on the show anymore. So they're just going to, like, uh, so bump into her. With these guys. Right. She's a lesbian. I'm sure she's going to want to move in with three dudes. And she's just going to, uh, just because she keeps bumping into him around the city, basically. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so they I like mean, they Look, yeah it's tough to get the apartment i get it but yeah and uh, i will say listen like it still has funny moments and it's still like activism is hard and inter- dealing with intersectionality is part of that right and like being woke is a minefield in many ways sure all that stuff's real but it, it feels trite and sitcommy in season two and i feel like russian doll feels fresh and new and exciting yeah, yeah. Also, you can very, very, very well see that the show is not being filmed uh, in, the, in the city in which it's set, and that's always been true. That was true in season one, but yeah, I don't know. It's like gave up on on SF exteriors, even. Um, <laughs> well, they season two. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. There's yeah, a couple it's, of they're pieces of like, B roll, basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm I'm still enjoying woke, but uh, but yeah, it's gonna be. I feel like it's gonna continue. To just sort of, you're gonna get diminishing returns, and I I do think that, uh, you know, concept wise, it, it, look, Russian Doll is in a place that I think that season one was such a such a, re- a revelation. I don't want to just entirely say original because obviously there's some there's some pretty clear reference points, um, some of which you've already mentioned, but it felt really fresh and exciting and i yeah. think it's just hard to duplicate that with you know a slightly different concept um in season two i will say uh you know bouncing off of my new york trip um uh, that our hotel uh was right next to the 77th avenue in lexington uh subway station which is oh, right no next kidding. to the like, hospital yeah so um, so I spent a lot of time in these specific subway station that seems to be the jumping off point for this for this show um, uh, or this season of the show. So uh, that part is interesting. I'm excited to see where, where it goes. And I will say uh, Natasha Leone is giving a really uh, a, a really charming performance. She's just uh, great, to- man. I mean, I've always loved her, but I, I think it's so great that she has a show – that understands what her, you know, skills are built around her. It's it really makes me happy. Yeah, I, I'd like to see a few more people kind of getting sucked back into her orbit. I thought that was one of the charms of the first season. Yeah, you know, uh, but I think that's going to happen. 
I agree. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm excited about Russian Dog where it's going. Let's talk about uh, something totally new. Mm. Tokyo Vice. I'm yes. very curious about your feelings about this. As we discussed when we gave out this homework, uh, you are not necessarily Ansel Elgort friendly. Um, yeah. And obviously he's doing a lot of work in this show. So where'd you land? Is he? I think he is. I think I, he is. I think he's speaking Japanese. Well, <laughs> he's doing it well enough that someone who knows nothing about Japanese is very impressed by his ability. It's very convincing. Rachel yeah. Keller, too, I might add. Uh-huh. Um, but I would actually say that, uh, you know, speaking of understanding actors' strengths, um, like Ansel Elgort does a lot of, like, charming smiles and blank stares in this show, and it fits. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's Baby Driver. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> it's a little more than Baby Driver. He talks yeah. a lot more. Um, and 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 again, he does really seem to capture. Like, I am utterly convinced that he is an American who speaks excellent Japanese. Uh, which I feel like is something that's hard to pull off, even when you're convincing people who don't speak Japanese. Um, so, I credit to him. And maybe I'm underselling the guy. Uh. But he did not take away from my interest in this show. It's I, I don't know if it's great. I, I I'll reserve judgment. I think I've watched three or four episodes. Um It is interesting and it's a world it's a totally foreign, uh literally and sort of uh figuratively world to me. And I find it interesting, and I'm I'm intrigued to see where it goes. It's it's a sort of a mysterious kind of story. There there's like people working to solve problems that we don't totally understand, uh, and obviously like the whole show is more or less a flashback from the beginning of the show, which is sort of where we're headed to. Um. So, I like it. Yeah, I think it's a really compelling mystery, uh, and like you said, it's a, it's pretty it's a pretty fully realized Japan. Um, yeah, visually, culturally, like you really feel like you're sort of plopped into it. Um, uh, I you know I don't understand entirely like some of the things that are happening. Like I don't really understand what they're doing with this newspaper <laughs> so much, where it's like like they keep yelling at him to just like. You don't don't even ask why. Follow the you know like follow this formula, but then they're not happy with the writing. But it's if, if like all they want is a formula, like it seems like it shouldn't be that hard to deliver the writing part of that. Like I'm very confused by some of those aspects of the show. Yeah. Um, but um, but as a story, I think it's really compelling, and, and like as a mystery, I think it's really compelling. In the yeah. world of the Yakuza, you know, it's like all just all of these things that you w- wouldn't get to see. Like there's a you know a, a TV tourism part of it and it's you know it has that michael mann eye uh although i think he only directed the first episode yeah but it's it's all very manny like the the way it's shot the sort of graininess of the the world it's um yeah it's it feels like a man 
it's it's a visually arresting show and it's very intriguing and i'm happy that you you feel the same um this is you know when i'm talking about how much stuff we have coming out over the next couple of weeks and like worried that i'm not gonna get back to shows that is a show that i'm i'm very worried that um yeah, me too. Because it's—I like, don't want to forget it. Because I, because I do, I really would do want to see where it goes. But, you know? but uh, you know, it's it's very much like a single screener, and it's a big chunk, so it's a hard thing to like be like, all right, it's Tokyo Vice time. So it, it, I, I agree with you. It's there's so many. Also, God, golly, HBO Max has so many things I'm watching that like my cue of what I just watched. Plus, the wife and I have been doing a wire rewatch over the course of several months. So, like, it, there's just my cue is all junked up. Yeah. Like, did you know, uh, remember the show Starstruck? That we I did watched on season two of Starstruck, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, there's a whole other season of that out that I haven't even, like, popped it's, into. It is precisely so. as delightful as the first season. Yeah. Like, yeah, HBO Max is, has got stuff. You know, I, it's a good week to be HBO Max, right? Like, it is. <laughs> Streaming services are dying in two weeks, and Netflix is worth about half of what it was the week before. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's not over dramatize CNN Plus as a streaming service. I don't know that it deserves that. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I'm just saying, keep keep plugging away, HBO Max. It's gonna the good things are gonna happen for you. That's, yeah, there's another fun. season of Made for Love coming out. I mean, they just they're churning out shows we don't really like. Hacks, hacks oh, about to be on season Yep. Yeah, it's uh, there. Yeah. Uh, oh, flight attendant's gonna be in the homework this week. Yeah, it so, is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot happening. A lot of, plus the stuff that's regularly on HBO. Um, it, it's good times for HBO Max. Uh, all right, we're gonna talk about an Apple TV Plus show now, though. Um, yeah. The anthology series Roar. How many I mean, did how you many watch? Did you get to watch? <laughs> I got I got two in. I did three. So you did not watch Cynthia Erivo's. I've not seen Cynthia Rivas yet. Whew. I mean, I saw about two minutes of Cynthia Rivas. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, look, the the theme is very clear here. I'm not sure if they're eventually going to tie all the stories together in a more, uh, you know, practical, specific way. But uh, this is a show. Uh, oh, you know what? I have watched two episodes of Cynthia Rivas because I'm, uh, Betty Gilpin came up third on mine now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, but wait, I so I watched four. Yeah. That's my bad. I watched four. You're right, because Betty Gilpin was third. I forgot about her. But either way, the but here's the theme. Um, take take a feminist metaphor or a metaphor of female uh, oppression, I guess, and make a fable. These are fables, um, and I quite like them. They're short. They are sort of mind and genre bending. And I think they're clever and well acted and good. Yeah, um, you know it's it's probably unfortunate for me that I watched two episodes and Nicole Kidman won a second was second. Um, I, I've just come around to that I'm I'm not a Nicole Kidman person. <laughs> so, um, um, well, which is not to say that her episode was bad. I didn't I did not think it was bad. Um, and I, I didn't necessarily think she's bad in it. I just think she's sort of uh, generally overrated. Um, but I loved the uh, Issa Rae episode. Um, well, and before we move on from the Nicole Kidman episode, which I actually do think was the weakest <clears throat> of the four that I watched, um, 
Judy Davis is fantastic in that episode. Yes, yes, she is. She so, is. you know, uh, six of one, As half is a dozen whatever of the random other. guy is playing her teenage son. Oh, Actually, yeah, also, both of her sons were great. <laughs> Everyone's good. I mean, that's the thing. This is just, once again with Apple, like, I'm not going to call this the greatest show ever or, or like, oh, my God, it's so brilliant. I'm not, I'm not going to do any of that. But what I think we continue to see with all of the Apple TV Plus shows we have watched recently um, and I'm thinking of Severance and Ptolemy Gray and uh, The After Party, is that whatever they have chosen to do, you know, in The After Party, it's ensemble comedy, and Ptolemy Gray, it's sort of a Samuel Jackson vehicle about memory and, and you know, uh, the things we cherish. With Severance, it's a... that's a, We talked about that, but it's a whole nutty thing. But whatever they've chosen to do, they just execute it at an incredibly high and professional level. Like, all of those shows, like, I don't know, your mileage might vary on Ptolemy Gray, right? But it's just really well done and well acted and well put together. It's like the best version of what it wants to be. And I think that is also true of Roar, that these are just really... Like, I don't know, do you want to watch a, a set of feminist fables? That's up to you. But if you do... These are great ones. Yeah, and if you're going to make a set of feminist fables, then you you want um, the creators of Glow to, to make that for you. I feel like you know I what think I mean? that's true. Yeah, they they have done a really really good job here. Yeah, uh, I feel bad that I am uh, blanking on uh, both Liz of their names. Liz Flayhive and Carly yeah. Minch. Thank you, because um, they're really truly excellent at making television. So, um, so yeah, yeah, this is another one I think is really great, and I hope that I can. Sneak away some time. To, to well, and the nice thing about this is they're mostly about 30 minutes. So, you know, yeah. you can just slip one in. It's And they're really, they are, they're just clever fables about specific concepts. I mean, you know, and, and the concept is in the name of each one, right? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, not without spoiling too much, I guess, the, the first two, which are the ones you watched, Issa Rae is someone, uh, you know, she's a, a young black woman who wrote a book trying to break into Hollywood and feels unseen and gradually starts to literally turn invisible. Nicole Kidman is a woman struggling with her mother's failing memory and, and I guess potentially Alzheimer's or dementia and begins to literally eat photographs to, like, re- acquaint herself with fond memories you know they're they are metaphors come to life and like fables about women um and i think they're really cool yep agreed agreed i probably didn't need to trash nicole kimman today sorry <laughs> um i don't think you did i think you just said she's not your favorite and that's okay not not much well and i think it speaks uh, to the quality that you feel that way but still enjoyed even her episode yes. that, that yes. speaks to the quality of the show. <laughs> yes, indeed. Speaking of quality of the show, you ready to talk Top Chef? I sure am. <laughs> you know I am. Restaurant Wars, baby. Yeah, Restaurant Wars. Uh, you know, I want to commend Top Chef um, for for some quality feints in, in this show because they had two big ones, and I fell really hard. 
for both of them. The first was uh, Buddha calling home for his mom. I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> Buddha's for the house. He's calling home to his mom. <laughs> we, we might as well kiss Not Buddha a good goodbye. sign, yeah. <laughs> and then the second was. Uh, Jackson has a front of ton of uh, uh, a ton of front of house experience, and he's going to be front of house. This is going to be a huge advantage for that team. Yeah, uh, so uh, I think right in line with that. Yeah, they got gotcha. you, and I think they had to because as soon as it started, it was over. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it, it, I would agree with that to the exception of you know the judges. When you hear Tom say say this, it's really impact. It was really impactful for me when he said, "This is probably the best restaurant ever to lose on Restaurant Wars." You know I, what I mean? Like, I, I that feels to me like they were being nice, and it feels to me <laughs> like they just. If, if if Gail had said that, I could see what you were saying. But like, Tom is not a guy who just says that. You know what I mean? Well, I wonder if he was just distracted by how good the other restaurant was. Because, <laughs> or maybe, I think maybe what he meant was this is the best food, like top to bottom, to ever lose Restaurant Wars. And I would believe that. And that's not that surprising, given that, you know, this is the latest season of Top Chef. And I think that the quality tends to get better. And certainly, everyone on this episode was super familiar with the historical trends of restaurant wars. Like this is a group that has prepared and watched the show, you know? Uh, I would say this is a group, but, but particularly Buddha. Buddha seems like he watched, he watched every episode in preparation for this. Yes. But in general, everyone (laughs) seems to really understand what they're doing here, except potentially Jackson, who, if he has a lot of front of house experience, I have to imagine he has never served a VIP table. Because that whole I wanted to treat the judges table like every other table bit is one of the silliest things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's not well and look, and he said it himself. He's like, I made some I made some wrong choices and that was probably the wrongest of them. They, more, they made they bad one. They could have played the Benny Hill theme for the scenes of Jackson wandering around to all the other tables while the judges were like, uh, how do I eat this? <laughs> yeah. And, and I will say, like, I think his service at the other tables seemed like it was pretty good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. He seemed, yes. He seemed like, uh, you know, Tony Soprano's friend when he opened his new restaurant, just like standing at all the tables, making everybody feel comfortable. Great job. Except you forgot Tony. Yeah. I, and I look, I'll grant you, this could have been the edit. Definitely could have been the edit, but it definitely did feel like he was almost intimidated by that table. You know what I mean? Yes. And they said that, right, a couple of times. They said that almost yeah. was a girl quitting us, you know? Yeah, but just like simple shit. There was a point where Evelyn was like, had to stop him from walking away and be like, could you fucking explain the dish to the goddamn judges? What are you doing right now? Yeah. Well, I do think that was an interesting wrinkle, right? Like, that came out of the fact that Evelyn could hear the judges, right? <laughs> so, well, like, yeah, but I think it also... Sometimes. And she had a great line of like, I'm trying to win restaurant wars, bro. And yeah. then tosses her head back. <laughs> Evelyn, Evelyn's, uh, well, you know what? In a lot, in, in some ways, and it wasn't as dramatic because Jay and, uh, and Joe were terrible last week, um, with the, with Buddha, but 
Yeah. It was a little like that situation where, like, why aren't you guys listening to the person that you said was your executive chef who also has won, like, three challenges in a row right now? Right. Well, look, if you're talking about right decisions that Jackson made, like, identifying her, Evelyn, quickly as the leader was, was a good one, yep. right? You know? Yes. Um, but then not, but then everybody being Luke is Luke is one lucky son of a gun that Jackson made a jackass of himself because when he, when Evelyn is like, all right, so as soon as the judges come down the stairs, I want you to fire up that fish. And he's like, well, I don't know. I think blah, blah, blah. it's like, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you arguing with Evelyn right now? Like you have been sucking ass and she has been winning every week. Just do what she says. Yeah. Like you're. You're the chef that's clearly devoid of confidence right now. Right. Right. Just listen. You're the striker that hasn't scored in 10 matches and is trying to figure it out. I know. (laughs) And you're, and you're talking to the midfielder. Like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if, I don't know if you should pass it to me in that spot. (laughs) What are you doing? Uh, The other thing we have to talk about. I think we can all have an interesting conversation about, Jackson's overall approach with his lack of smell and taste and whether he should have done stuff differently along the way. But I'm guessing we can all agree that he chose literally the worst possible time to share that information with everybody. It was so bad. I almost feel like it was producer induced. Like somebody got in his ear and said, look, you might be going home. Like it's kind of now or never on the taste thing. Like why don't you tell everybody that like, yeah. that's it's, it was that like, like really, dude? Now I don't. But he could have waited ten minutes. Secret, but like, of all the times, you know, like he could have waited I, ten Luke, minutes I to see. Tried to kill him. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And like, look, Luke ended up looking silly because it was Jackson who got eliminated. But I understand where he was coming from. Like, Jackson tasted his dish and said too salty, and then he put less salt in, and the judges were like, "I can't taste any salt." He specifically fucked Luke on a specific tasting comment that he did not have to make. He did say he could could taste salt again. Yeah, but he said it's the only thing he could taste, so that's what happened. He tasted it. All he tasted was salt because that's how his tongue works right now. And then he ruined someone's dish. Dude. I, and and if he had waited 10 minutes until he got eliminated to bring everyone in and say, guys, you know, I think it's time now since I've been eliminated to tell you I can't goddamn taste a thing. And they all would have been like, wow, I can't believe you made it this far. Good work, Jackson. Have a nice life. And instead, (laughs) he got yelled at by Luke for five minutes because he decided to share it while they were waiting to see if Luke got a – like, they knew. They knew it was either Jackson or Luke, right? Evelyn wasn't going home, and and Jay made the best sauces that the team had. So, like, just wait. Just wait, bro. It was such a weird thing that I didn't I was think of it, stunned. but you might I be right. I had it in, in my notes, by the way, that I'm like, oh, this like I, this is as obvious an elimination as there's going to be. Jackson is out. And that's obviously that's the way it went, but. Yeah. That's I, what I thought, I, too. But then, but then. They sure as hell made it sound pretty close. And that's it, it right. It was a fair point. Like, Luke didn't do much. He didn't <laughs> do much, and the thing he did didn't taste good. But I think, I don't know if they they said, and we just didn't see it, if someone told them that, like. Jackson told him to put less salt in. <laughs> like the they one always, thing Luke did, that. Jackson ruined. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I yeah, it's got. I I would have been mad if Luke went home, honestly. And and I like Jackson, you know what I mean. I just but yeah. like it was so it was so clear that uh, the problems with the meal, almost all of them originated with him. It's true. Even the conception issues originated with him. The front of house service issues, and even Luke's shitty dish. And you the boring I mean? dessert. Oh right, I forgot. And the boring dessert. Um, so yeah, just literally every problem. And uh, now on and look, the other side. There's a long line of, of quality chefs who have gone home for fucking up front of house, and I think you can put Jackson in that group. Uh, totally agree. Now, can we just talk about the good team for a minute? Because I think that was the best Restaurant Wars restaurant of all time, based on my own judgment and on the judges' reactions. And I, I think sp- – I mean, look, Nick and Ashley both knocked it out of the park. But specifically, I think Buddha and Damar are two of the best and most consistent chefs we've ever seen on this show. Yeah, I I dare say, and maybe that's what made it so good. Like, I think Nick and Ashley were just as good as those two on on that day. Agreed. You know what I mean? But that they rose to their the level that these two have been cooking at for pretty much the entire season. The you know way I mean? they talked about Buddha's bread and Damar's carrot cake. Like, you just don't see everybody go that gaga on Top Chef very often. They quite literally said the best bread anyone's ever made on Top Chef. And that, yes. that to me is like, when you are, right, like, there's been a lot of breads. That is a big group of breads you're talking about. Right well, and, and, and the reactions to the carrot cake were like, I never eat carrot cake and I want to inject this into my veins it was like I, yeah. this carrot caramel is the greatest thing i've ever tasted like it, it th- those those judges look they say nice things plenty because there's a lot of good food on this show but they don't go to the superlatives that often and no. i feel and like buddha and started a fucked up cake basically yes right? like- <laughs> and i feel like buddha and damar have both gotten those sorts of praise repeatedly this season yeah. It uh, those it I th- I think it's really going to be a battle with those two. I do. You, is there a chance that uh, that Ashley is is our late season, you know, finds her footing, chef? Well, that's definitely what they were trying to sell us in her ITM when she was like, for the first time, I didn't like mute my food, and it was great. And um, I would say like she still made a couple execution errors that. I think it's just it's a little frustrating uh, that she keeps making these sorts of mistakes. But in general, I do think she's one to watch. We we liked what she was doing from the beginning, and she has just made too many like like sh- the sorts of mistakes Ashley has made throughout the season are ones that are like substandard for a chef of her level, right? They're like yeah. they're like they're 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 e chef. They're not like. That wasn't good. They're like you made a mechanical error. You know, we have. Um, I, I feel like a pretty clearly defined top three right now with uh, Evelyn, uh, Buddha, and uh, Demar. Yes. Right, Agreed. and I just don't. It's going to take a lot to get it. You know, you can't make execution mistakes and get into that level. Right, right. And, and look, the the sort of second tier, which I think is everybody else at this point, is awfully tough as well. Yeah, I mean, Kay's uh, done some really incredible things, uh, you know. Some, yes. Some, last week was rough for her, but, like, you know. Well, she keeps blowing people's minds with sauces, so she's obviously yeah. very, very skilled when it comes to the sauce. 
Yeah. Well, I, I also just like that she like casually dropped like, yeah, I cooked him a bird of dad. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. She's like, what is this Asian what? bullshit? It was a, it was a surprising twist. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm a fancy ass French chef. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah jay i really like jay jay's another one that kind of she sneaks up on you but she's got she's got some good lines you I, know I, mean? I just i it's so weird i really like every even luke who's the most obvious like i probably wouldn't like that guy guy i they all seem nice and i i'm rooting for everybody yeah i mean yeah, i'm rooting for damar the most but i'm rooting for everybody it's an easy season to root for everybody and i gotta say like I, I would not have expected Mississippi Nick to still be around at this point in the competition, and he's holding his own, man. Hey, he really is. He's Nick's 26, food. baby. They're, he's getting it done with the spices. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so shout out to Nick. It's but you a, know what? Uh, just for a second on that, I you know I found myself thinking last night watching this. Do you do you think about how impressive and distinctive? That spice mix must be that he has perfected. Twenty six is so many spices. It's a lot. It's but, like twice as many as the Colonel. Yeah, but he is getting consistent rave reviews from food experts and different ones. Like uh-huh. each new guest judge who tastes Nick's twenty six spices is like, bro, you you got to bottle this. Like yeah. that's <laughs> that, it must be something special, man. If he does bottle it, I'm buying it. I was gonna say, like, it's crazy if he does not get uh, some sort of deal for the for the spice mix out of this. You know, what Nick's I mean? twenty six, <laughs> baby. Let's do it. <laughs> he got to. <laughs> do you think that he had like twenty three at some point and was like, "Look, my name's Nick. I gotta, I gotta get that to six. <laughs> that is such a good question. <laughs> I hope, I hope he's out there doing some interviews. I hope they, that he's on. Uh, you know, one of the top chef pods uh, yep. or something like that. I need, to, I need to find this out. <laughs> yep. I want to know about the 26 spices for sure. I mean, I don't need, don't tell me what's in them. That's okay. Just send me a bottle. Yeah. Send me a bottle. And I want to know the story. And I definitely want to know if you, if you definitely, if you needed to get to 26 or did you stop at 26? <laughs> well, if he's rock. smart, he's never going to tell us the answer to that. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Um, I, I feel like maybe we should uh, we should get out of here on that. Does that sound good? Yeah, I think we more or less did it. I mean, I think I think we've done what we came here to do. Uh, you want to do thirty seconds of NBA? Whew. That's gonna be hard. I, look, it's you know if if you're asking me for one takeaway, yeah, like from from this week moving forward, health. Health is going to be the thing. I think that like health, yep, and it put some put some twists in this because you know the injuries to Booker and Middleton have already changed some of the complexion of these series, and I think there's going to be another one or two come down the pike. I didn't even I, and Luca, you know what yep. I mean? Like so, well, although that, that seems to change the complexion of the series, so right? Uh, uh, I gotta uh, say also like because of health and just also because of how good so many teams are this is as wide open an nba playoffs on both sides as i can ever ever remember and it's extremely exciting so um i'm ready to have some more fun who if you're picking two right now who you got i'm not i won't hold you these for the whole playoffs but if you have to say right now who you got 
I think it's Celtics Warriors if I had to pick right now. And I I, I would have said I would have said Suns, but I, I if Devin Booker doesn't play again, you know. I'm gonna stay with the Suns. I'm okay. gonna stay with the Suns. But I but largely that's based on I think I, I think that I buy the two to three week timetable. I think I think they have enough to get through what they need to get through to get Booker back. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I mean I think that that you know if they get either a, a rejuvenated Grizzlies or a healthy Warriors um, in the conference finals, they cannot beat them without a healthy Devin Booker. Correct. Um, so we'll see. That uh, that's going to be really interesting. Um, it is. You know what's. You know what's. It's really unfortunate that all the things that people have been saying about the Celtics have turned out to be true. <laughs> hey, but listen. As much as I just said I'd pick the Celtics right now, Philly has probably looked better overall. Oh, so I far. disagree. I disagree. I don't okay. think any team has looked better than the Celtics. Well, the Celtics at their best, sure, but the Celtics have had some ugly moments as well. And and more to the point, it's entirely possible that Ben Simmons comes back and totally changes the complexion of the series. So I like I I would pick I, the I Celtics pick right that. now. I I, I just did. If that happens, well, maybe. But again, I'm and, and I don't know I, why I'm offering your hand. I'll eat my own hand. I, look, no, I'm not even saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like. It's there's so much unknown still, and I wouldn't be shocked if Brooklyn won the series. As much as I just picked the Celtics, and I would stand by that, I'm not retracting that. It would not shock me if Brooklyn won the series, which again speaks to my first point. This is as wide as open as I can ever remember it. Like, I think the Bulls might beat the Bucks, which was unthinkable uh, two days ago. Yeah, like two days ago, unthinkable. Yeah, unthinkable. Um, so I, I still sort of think the Bucks. Enough to get by, but uh, I agree. But, but I, you're right. I think you I, have but, to, but look, the Bulls played them better than I expected desperate. without the, an injury. So you know, yeah. they could have won both games. Uh, you know, one insane foul call in Game One arguably changed the outcome. So you know, it could be two nothing Bulls with with a couple of very small differences. Which is in, again, I thought the Bulls would get swept after they. You know, didn't win game one. I was positive they would get swept. And here we are at 1-1. Um, and I would favor the Bulls tonight, given the absence of Chris Middleton and the way the Bulls have played. So who the hell knows? Uh, and I think that's enough NBA. For sure. I'm going to uh, to Bulls-Bucks tomorrow night, and I have literally no idea what that what's in store for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, could be fucking anything. So... Um, uh, you know, the playoffs have been fun and obviously a reason that I have some of the, some of the problems that I do have. With that said, you got two weeks, so we're about to drop a whole bunch of homework on you right now. And Let's do it. All of it is all of it is top door stuff. So uh, we, we left some top door stuff things on the, t- you know, uh, you know, in the drawer for later. That's how much stuff is going on. So uh, the flight attendant. Um, so we're throwing that in there. Uh, in fact, I think that's out now, right? Did that yep, I think night? it just came out last night or today, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, so uh, so put that in the mix. Uh, Barry Season 3 premieres Sunday on HBO. Yep. Uh, and I feel like that one's been gone long enough that I, I people have maybe forgotten is a, you know, a belt-holding kind of show. Yep, great uh, show. It's on, like, up there with anything on television. Um. 
so uh, that there's a new David Simon show about policing. Can I interest you in that? You can <laughs> Baltimore policing, if you will. Um, how far are you in your wire catch up? We are in season four, the uh, school season. It's a heavy hitter. Yeah, probably probably not gonna. That's a good. That's you know arguably the best. Um, but gonna be tough for you to to. <laughs> to finish before before we own this city comes out. Correct. Um, that's that's the new show. Uh, and that premieres on Monday uh, on HBO. Showtime show for you called "The Man Who Fell to Earth." Um, she would tell a four. Did I, I get I, I get that one right? Edgy four. I don't know. Edgy four. Thank you. Uh, and Naomi Harris. Uh, that's a remake, obviously, of the the, the David Bowie. Uh, epic from back in the day. Um, looks very interesting. They, they, Showtime's been running previews for that for a while, and it uh, looks like a good one. Um, and then, Under the Banner of Heaven, which is a book uh, that I loved, uh, written by John Krakauer, a nonfiction book. The same guy who wrote Into the Wild uh, and Up in Thin Air. Um, he's an incredible writer. Uh, and it's a really interesting story about the Elizabeth Smart case. Uh, and the book sort of talks, you know, ties that in with Mormon fundamentalism and a pattern of violence. It was a book the Mormon Church was very upset about. I don't know if the TV show is going to treat that more as a straight crime story or sort of get into some of those larger aspects. But Andrew Garfield is the star. I've heard very good buzz about it. And that is uh, an FX uh, series and we'll uh, have uh, more Top Chef to talk about as well, and we'll be on the verge of a new season of Challenge All Stars. Yeah, man, it's coming fast and furious. And I, you know, I just want to throw this out because um, a lot of people have watched it and talked about it. I did happen to catch the Tinder Swindler on Netflix. I'm not going to say that this is a great documentary by any means, but man, what a story that is! What is what a story that is like? Crazy story. I watched it as well, but uh, also we gotta go. Yeah, we gotta go. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Games in the Admiral refrigerator. The doors closed. The lights out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling, and the Jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.